you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, by the clearness and the brightness of your holy word, may all the world come within your saving embrace. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In 2021, um, our family took a road trip to Teddy Roosevelt uh, National Park in North Dakota. Who's been to Teddy Roosevelt before? Yes, you should go. It's pretty cool. Um, it's north, uh, northwest uh, North Dakota, and it's just a really amazing kind of badlands um, area and great place to camp. And um, one of the nights that we were there, we decided we were going to take an evening hike uh, to see a prairie dog town because we were up in the north unit and there's no prairie dogs that you can see from the road, so we wanted to go check it out. And so we were hiking um, along this trail and in sort of badlands, scrub prairie where you can see, you know, the buttes up above you and out into the distance. And about 100 yards off, I saw a bison, a big bull bison, laying right across the path. Like you could, you know, see the path and then the bison just kind of like, you know, like you can't tell if they're sleeping or they're bored. They look very docile, right? Um, and so it's 100 yards off. We just kept walking. We saw up ahead there was um, a, very, a real live cowboy, I think actually, um, on a horse with a dog and kind of went up to the bison and the bison kind of, you know, made moves but didn't get off the trail. And so we kept, we kept walking. Um, and my kids, Anne, um, sort of expressed um, concern a little bit. This, what are we going to do? This bison's still across the path. And so it was, it was raising anxiety in the family and I'm, I'm the dad, so I have to be like, this doesn't scare me, this big bison. I thought uh, maybe we'd get closer, we could see a path around this big bull bison, or maybe we would get close enough and he would lumber on, go someplace else. Um, so as we approached, I had these glorious visions of moving towards the bison, it getting up and leaving, and then, you know, everybody patting me on the back, being proud dad, you know, admiring dad. So we got closer and closer, we are like 60 yards, 50 yards, it's getting closer and bigger, like in, in, uh, in view. We're 40 yards, um, and by that time the family stayed behind me. Like they said, we're not gonna do that anymore, Are you on your way. And so I'm 35 yards, 30 yards, maybe 25 yards, and then just inside that 30 yard space, this big bull bison jumped up, and they, they can weigh like 2,000 pounds, they're, they're big and kicked up dust, and, and I immediately stopped. Um, stopped in my tracks, and then I very deliberately and sheepishly, at least I tried to hide my sheepishness inside a, uh, I meant to do that kind of look, um, I backed away from this big animal. Because far from intimidating uh, this bison to move, I had merely annoyed him. And, and I, I wasn't in imminent danger at 30 yards, um, at least in that moment, um, but the reality is that he could close that gap very, very quickly, and so I was in, in a degree of danger. And I recognized as he jumped up and how big he was and how quickly he moved um, that I had prioritized my ego over the concerns of my family, maybe safety of my family. And so, no one's patting me on the back, but it's now a family story of how dad can be kind of foolhardy at times. I had confidence um, to move forward up to a certain point, um, but I found out very quickly that I lacked authority to coerce this bull to do anything. And in a test of my confidence um, that, well, I can do this, I've, I've got, you know, 
I've got guts to approach. And uh, that test between confidence and an actual charging 2,000-pound bull bison, I think the bull wins every single time. Confidence and authority um, can look very similar on the outside, um, but we, of course, know that they're not the same thing. Confidence and authority are not the same things. And confidence um, evaporates pretty quickly when you see um, the limits of, of authority. Um, and hopefully we recognize those limits um, much sooner than later, uh, recognize them in times where there's not great cost. Um, but like driving on, a, on an icy road, um, you don't really realize how little control you have until you try to put the brakes on, until you try to stop. And today's gospel lesson um, shows a confrontation um, that revealed Jesus' authority and his glory and the difference between just confidence and, and authority. And Jesus' um, actions revealed a glory that wasn't um, in the ways sometimes that we conceive it, see of it, um, with bravado and um, patting dad on the back, um, but authority and glory for the sake of others. Um, an authority that revealed God's love, that released captives and built others up. And it was a glory that brings people, particularly this person, this man who is possessed or who is oppressed by an unclean spirit, bringing him out of darkness and into God's own glorious light. I imagine the scribes um, in the synagogue, if there were scribes in the synagogue or if they heard about it later, feeling a little bit like I did um, at the National Park. Um, confident and self-assured um, until they suddenly weren't, until they suddenly found the limits of their authority. Scribes were the originators of the synagogue um, worship and the synagogue service after the exile in Babylon. Uh, prophet Ezra was a scribe um, in the return from exile. And scribes were essentially lawyers, they were teachers of the law, experts in how the law of um, Moses had been and should be applied in everyday life. Um, synagogues were a place to hear the law read and interpreted, places of worship and study. And there, um, the scribes were closely associated with the Pharisees, although not being exactly the same as Pharisees. And elsewhere in Mark, the scribes are critiqued for their, their desire for recognition, uh, for honor, their desire for deference from other people in public places. But not all of them were unbelieving. Some believed and followed Jesus, as uh, described in Matthew chapter 8. But they were confident in what they knew. Um, confident in their expertise, expertise in what they knew. Um, but their expertise was not one and the same with authority. And in particular, the scribes of uh, the synagogue at Capernaum were of little use in confrontation with an unclean spirit. Unclean spirits um, in Scripture, they're demonic powers, those that oppress God's people and inspire, um, often, is often associated with false prophecy, with false testimony. And Zechariah's prophecy about cleansing the house of David in Jerusalem in um, the prophet Zechariah, God drew a distinction between removing them and the false prophets and, and along with the false prophets, the unclean spirits from the land. And so there is, a, there is an association in the Old Testament between that false prophet and an unclean spirit. Now, it's, it's really important for us to note that this unclean spirit was in the synagogue. Just settle with, with that for a, little, for a little while. This unclean spirit was in a, pe a place where people routinely and in discipline came for knowledge about God. 
And Mark doesn't say if this unclean spirit had revealed itself before, um, but it spoke um, and, uh, and was in rebellion against Jesus as though this was its place, that Jesus was intruding upon its place, saying, why have you come to us? Have you come to destroy us? And from the re- reaction of those present, um, again, whether or not this, this unclean spirit had manifested itself before, the synagogue was a place where there was lots of talk about God, but rarely a place where people had experienced um, knowledge of God and experience of his authority in this way that Jesus brought. And so lots of expertise, lots of confidence, but no authority, no potency of God's word. And so, kind of like this big, big, big animal that's far too big for me, in a confrontation between the scribes and the unclean spirit, clearly the unclean spirit prevailed. And perhaps even the biggest problem of all was that there maybe had never been a cause for confrontation. That in what was spoken, there was never something that would provoke this unclean spirit to, to, to disrupt the service. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul describes the evil one saying, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That it is, it is kind of an action of blindness that, that the evil one uh, perpetrates. And similarly, in our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we hear Paul rebuking Christians who were puffed up with knowledge of half-truths, maybe with, with confidence, unfounded confidence. The Corinthians were abstracting their theology um, in ways that suited their desires, in ways that suited their appetites, and, and at the expense of love of others, of fellow believers, and at the expense of witness to the world. And he quotes them um, in his letter saying, they all say, we possess knowledge. Um, maybe people thinking that they were sophisticated in their knowledge about God. And again, it's, there's half-truths in what was spoken and what was um, misleading in Corinth. Because um, Isaiah 44, it says, an idol has no real existence. Um, the prophet mocks sort of the creation of idols. I and mean, sometimes we take wood and we fashion it into an idol. And in others, we take another portion of the wood and cook our meal with it. And so in that sense, an idol really doesn't have any power. But Paul cautions them, saying, not all possess this knowledge. And so you might be confident in this, but don't let that knowledge be one that puffs you up at the expense of brothers and sisters. Have a knowledge that builds others up and a love for others that builds um, others up and builds yourself up. And so he rebukes them. By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother or sister for whom Christ died. That abstraction, that um, separating out the truth just to self, um, for self-serving um, reasons is a subtle rebellion, but it has grave consequences. And similarly, the unclean spirit uh, recognized Jesus, but didn't love and honor him. Um, again, calling Jesus the Holy One of God, that's the same thing um, that Simon Peter says of, of Jesus in, um, in the Gospel of John. But it's a very different kind of recognition giving testimony that was factually true but spoken in rebellion and in fear, not love and obedience. In his book, um, Knowing God, J.I. Packer wrote, how can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? And he says the rule for doing this is simple but demanding. 
It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. That it's not done in isolation, but that God is with us, imprinting his word and putting his, as we're under his word, that it is actually confronting those things that are out of order in our lives. That knowledge of God, this kind of knowledge that is, is relational and submitting ourselves to God, does not puff up because it begins with a humbling act, a humbling reality that I, anything that I know about God is a result of his love and his initiative and his moving towards me in the first place. And knowledge of God can't be one that's abstracted from um, love of other because it must un- overflow to love and good works because others are, are covered by and um, God's loving initiatives towards them as well. First Packer wrote, all my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. In 2 Corinthians 4, um, Paul laments that the God of this world, who again has blinded the minds of unbelievers, keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God. And like the scribes, um, like the people of Corinth, we should be uh, beware of how knowledge, um, knowledge about God only, again, that's abstracted, that can puff us up and lead us to trifle with spiritual dangers. Unclean spirits are silent um, and made silent at Jesus' rebuke, but that doesn't mean that we should trifle with those things and those powers. And we may not feel like we're in imminent danger um, through media that we watch or books or articles that we read or music that we listen to or apps that we use. Um, But we should beware of this God of this world, this power of this world that is seeking in so many insidious ways to blind the minds of unbelievers and even those within the body of Christ. Now, I imagine as I say that and that sort of beware, you might think, sometimes as I think of that, I think of things that other people should be beware of. We can imagine the threats of blindness that are afflicting other people. But the challenge for this, again, being under the word, is to consider what might be blinding you and me, what sorts of things that we might Um, become passive to that what might seem like a calculated risk of oh it's 30 yards away or it's at a distance and I'm I'm very discerning can suddenly be upon us in a moment but we can be people again who have confidence in the Lord that God took on our mortal flesh to reveal his glory and that the glory that he revealed was not a swaggering um, self-confidence Um, nor was it a frail, sort of timid um, character, but an action of words, um, actions of of agency that possessed authority, possessed authority that could not even be conquered by or defeated by the cross. So that even when Jesus was dying, again, that his death itself could be an epiphany that he was the son of God before the centurion. As we prayed at the start of our worship service, we are um, set in the midst of grave dangers. And because of the frailty of our nature, again, we can't stand up to to these other powers um, or authorities on our own. We cannot always stand upright. And therefore, it is essential that we are under God's word, that we are confident, not in our own strength, not in our own discernment, but in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his authority and strength. As Packer wrote, submit yourself to the authority of his word. Meditate upon it. 
dwell upon it and apply the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. This is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with him. And so therefore, we're not people who lose heart, though there are um, enemies that are very real. For God, who said, let light shine in the darkness, has made light to shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ Jesus. And let us pray. O God, again, you know that we are set in the midst of many dangers, and because of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. Grant that your strength and protection may support us in all dangers and carry us through every temptation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.